to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber safety educator and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My guest today is Mark McCrindle, a social researcher and futurist internationally recognised as a leader in tracking emerging issues and researching social trends. He coined the term Generation Alpha after thinking about what comes next after Generation Z. Generation Alpha children born between 2010 and 2025 will be the most globally connected generation of children ever. These children are living through an era of rapid change and a barrage of information, good, bad and fake. Mark and his partner, social researcher Ashley Fell, have just published a book titled Generation Alpha, Understanding Our Children and Helping Them Thrive. So where are Generation Alpha going? What does the future look like for these digital natives? Mark McCrindle, welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. Thanks, Leonie. Great to be with you. Mark, why did you get interested in this generation of children? I've been studying the generation since it was Generation X that was the big focus uh, a few decades ago, and then it went through Generation Y, sometimes called the Millennials and Gen Z, as you said, and and getting the end of the alphabet, thought it's about time to uh, to think about the next group, um, which is Generation Alpha. And, And we study the generations because therein you can learn a lot, not only about a changing society, but also the future. And particularly with an emerging generation, it provides a great lens through which to look, to think about the future that we will all share and the sort of world that the youngest generation will create into the future. So what age are these kids right at the moment then? They are those that are 11 and under, yeah. So so they're primary school kids and kindergarten, all that age group. Mm. Exactly. And they'll continue to be born through to 2024. So a generation now spans 15 years. Uh, that was true of the Gen Zs and the Gen Ys before them and the Xs as well. So uh, so from 2010 through to 2024 uh, is this generation we're discussing. So in your book, you say that Generation Alpha are the first generation of children to be shaped in an era of portable devices, and don't we know it? And for many, their pacifiers have not been rattles or a set of keys, but a smartphone or a tablet device. And you do say in the book that tablets seem to be the the number one device that these kids are using between age 8 and 12 years of age. Apparently, according to some recent research, um, they are spending an average of four hours and 44 minutes of screen time per day for entertainment purposes, which is really huge when you think about the amount of screen time that we might have had as children sitting in front of a television, for instance. How, what did you find out about the effect that, of that this generation are going to or already facing? The ability, for instance, as you talk about pacifiers, to be able to self-soothe or cope in the longer term. I'm hearing increasing reports of kids that can't go to bed, for instance, without their iPad. Yeah, and I think that's the challenge that we've got, Leonie, is that we actually don't yet have good evidence on the long-term impacts of these devices because it's these gen alphas that are part of this global experiment in it and the the data is not yet in i mean they you're right about the tablets and the devices 2010 the year they began being born was the year that the ipad was launched it was the year that instagram uh, was released it was the year that the word of the year was app so that tells us a lot about the era that they have known and so these devices in front of them from the youngest age 
where they now, as youngsters, pre-teens, are spending three quarters of their, their, their discretionary time, their non-school time, in front of technology is, is at a whole new level. So while we don't have the long-term impacts yet, we do know that it is impairing attention span. It is a very uh, addictive medium uh, because these are different to the screens that we all had in our younger years, that the TVs, which are sort of lean back screens. These ones of today are lean forward. They're, they're mm-hmm. I- 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 very much interactive. Sometimes they're multi-screening. They, they can be a compulsive uh, desire to them where you want to play the game longer. It's the means through which their social connections are met, their education, and of course, their entertainment. And so they are saturated in the world of screens, and we're already starting to see some of the downsides of it. And of course, you know, we didn't take our televisions to bed with us generally, um, and um, dummies and, and keys as a self-soother um, probably only go until about the age of two or three years of age. So what we're seeing, and anecdotally what I'm seeing, are these kids um, at the age of um, nine and ten that can't get to sleep without these so-called pacifiers. So if they're not learning to self-soothe or to occupy their minds in other situations where they didn't have iPads, what are the, what do you imagine are the long-term effects of, of that um, reliance on a screen? What does that do to their maturity? Well, it's, yeah, it does, it does impair it. It impairs their ability to be independent individuals. You know, and the whole point of raising children or as educators, educating young people is to move them from dependence, where of course they are dependent on the adults in their world for everything, to independence, where they are autonomous and have internalized their own values and behavioral systems so that they can cope in this world. And what this is doing is it's a down-aging tool. It delays that independence to later because they feel dependent on the device. Um, it's so easy to pick it up and to find answers or to use time to, to fill in the gaps of life. Um, and so it can impair also their social development. It can shrink comfort zones. So rather than talk to someone in there or in this tutorial or in this um, gathering, um, I'll just pick up the device and, and interact on it. And that, that, that can, uh, can delay not only their social interactions, but of course their confidence in life, their social skills mm. and their abilities to, to learn from others and to be exposed to more diverse views and connections rather than just connecting with those who are sharing the same views on their preferred social media platform. I imagine it cuts them off from their awareness of the world around them. I mean, without parent shaming or judging, the amount of kids that I see that are, for instance, in prams with an iPad in front of them, whereas once before, mum and dad would be pointing out all the things around them and they'd have to sit with their thoughts and and experience the world. Now they're being shut off from that experience. And those are the things that that they learn from. So what are they learning from these screens then? Well, they have become more visual in terms of how they consume content, even as they're moving into the literacy side of their life. Uh, And so rather than read about something, they're watching a video on something. Now, Mm. there's a great richness to the video consumption, but there can be a detrimental impact in terms of being able to use their own imagination uh, and and responding in a world of of the written, which is going to be, of course, key for their future. And even if we think about the very early de- developmental years, it's a world of, 
of course, three dimensions, but they're interacting on the screens, which are two dimensions. It's a world of tactile, where you get very young children and infants will pick up things and they'll touch things. But of course, the glass, which is tactile, uh, to click through a game or an activity is again just monodimensional. And so they're not developing even those sensory uh, skills and, and uh, abilities in the same way that children without the devices are. Now, there's a lot of benefits that come from the technology, uh, but these are some challenges if all they're, or, or they're overly exposed to it, uh, they do experience. So in the book, you write a, a lot, obviously, as a futurist about the future. Um, and um, I, I do hear educators qu quite often say that education really hasn't changed much from, you know, for 100 years with kids sitting in a classroom with a teacher in front, 40 minute lessons, 12 years of schooling leading to a traumatic exam at the end of year 12. How do you see that process working for these children? And will there be changes in um, by the time they get to, say, year 12? There are changes coming through, which is great to see. And, and educators are innovative. You know, there there is this desire to make sure schooling is developing the whole student and not just, you know, focused on, on narrow areas alone. So I'm encouraged to see that uh, because that's what this generation is going to need for their future. The World Economic Forum said that 65% of children entering primary school today will end up working in jobs that don't yet exist. Now, they've got a whole research paper to back that statistic up, but that's pretty phenomenal. And yet, if we look at the world, we're seeing that now. We're seeing school leavers of today work in areas like app development, or here we are in podcast um, uh, you know, technologies, in, in, in coding and, and algorithms and blockchain and, and, and cyber security and, and, and data visualization, you know, these are whole new areas that didn't exist when they began mm. their schooling. And that trend will continue on. Now, what that means is that children are going to have to learn to be lifelong learners, adaptable, uh, be able to change courses, careers, to upskill, to retrain, to get micro-credentials so that they remain future-proofed for a longer period in the workforce and for more change. And just sitting in classrooms like we did a century ago, as you said, Leonie, just, mm. just the numeracy and literacy alone, without developing the social skills, the life skills, the transferable skills, um, and indeed the creative thinking skills, the resilience, the ability to adapt. You know, I think if we're just focused on the old three R's and not developing holistic students, uh, we're, we're not setting them up well for a big world of change ahead. So you were mentioning some jobs there that that uh, are likely um, to be. Uh, we're we're already seeing people applying for those jobs. Cybersecurity, you know, they can't get enough people to work in the industry, and you know, there's courses and stuff popped up all over the place. But we're kind of guessing, aren't we, as to to exactly what kind of skills um, students want? And there's obviously. Um, a government push to to get rid of a lot of the humanities courses. Would you be in, in this case an advocate for encouraging children to to go into humanities to develop those skills you were just talking about? I'm a big fan of humanities because I'm a fan of of what will help us reflect and think and and understand the complexity of our world, understand, the diversity of the global connections that we have and work out in this world of complexity and uncertainty how to navigate a way through that has 
um, that thinks about and is values based and that can can make you know wiser and I think informed decisions. You know, the fact is that anything that can be outsourced to technology will be. You know, it's a growing world of automation. And I'm all for students learning coding and uh, and learning robotics and, and the STEM subjects. That, of course, matters. I've got a science degree myself, and it's, and it's an important foundation. But the technology will do well what technology is geared up to do, which is the automation, which is the repetitive tasks, and which is that systems thinking. But what computers don't do well is the human side of life. Mm. relating to people, thinking through complexity, making decisions, uh, understanding the, the nuance of our world, being being um, creative. And, mm. and so we do need to develop in this generation not just technological literacy, the basic building blocks of literacy more broadly, and, of course, the social and people skills, the creative thinking and critical thinking skills so that they can thrive and use technology as a tool, but bring what is uh, totally human to the equation of of the jobs of the future. How do you think um, the technology is impacting on these children's uh, generation alpha, their mental health? We know that there's some really big issues, um, particularly with teenagers, which is the next generation up, um, and a lot of controversy around how these screens contribute to their mental health. If um, we look at these children who are starting so much earlier than the existing group of teenagers are, I mean, we know that there are kids of, you know, two years of age that have got iPads and some of them are independently using them. Um, How is that going to impact their their future and what do we need to do to counteract some of those things that might happen that carry through their adult lives? Well, yeah, great, great point. And and as we, uh, I said earlier, you know, we don't have, absolute data to to show the connection between Mm. the two but just let's look at the correlation for a moment at the very same time that we've seen a massive rise not only in the access to these devices and social media and the digital but also the use of these devices as i said three quarters of discretionary time of children from the youngest age spent on device is at a whole new level many hours per day and, and at that same time, we've seen mental health issues rise and onset earlier. We've seen anxiety with children rise. We've seen body image issues, dissatisfaction in life, just general uncertainty. And so there is a strong correlation there, not necessarily a causation. So we need to, to think about it because we do know that there are benefits that come from technologies as well. I mean, you know, some, some people have found uh, solutions with their own uh, uh, mental health issues or maladies um, through some connections and like-minded people online. The access to the tools and the, and the, and the self-help through the digital and apps can be very, very useful. There are mood tracking apps. There are, uh, are um, apps that can help us through some of those dark experiences we might have. But mm. I think in general, we are seeing a connection between the two uh, that uh, that is not just chance alone. And therefore, I think we have to treat the use of the devices, particularly with young children, carefully. Some of the information they're exposed to is earlier than we as parents would want them to do, to, to have access. You know, as you know well in your professional work, we only sometimes the, 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 the nefarious um, content or, or connectors out there are, are, not, are not what we want uh, children exposed to. And so, we do need to be on our guard around it and, and sometimes put some limits and some restraints around it. And I think, um, as we made clear in the book, you know, parents 
uh, do recognise this. They're cautious of the screen use of their children. They're, they're, they, they see some downsides of it, and yet they themselves uh, are all the while scrolling through ever more social media feeds. We do have to be models of the behaviour that we want. We surveyed Australians nationally and found more than half of Australians access their phones within four minutes of going to sleep and access their phones within the first four minutes of waking up in the morning. Now, that comes pretty close to a definition of addiction. <laughs> yes. I, I think, we, I think we, can all, we can all say we're part of that. Yeah. So, you know, the phone is beside, it's on the bedside and, and it's part of our mm. world. But, you know, at least as adults, we've got more of the structured world that has brought us to this point. And we can put the technology in a bit more of a behavioural box uh, not so for young people who are using it when it's in the very formative years and the impressionable years of their life. So we do need to be better models of, of appropriate use of technology and be very cautious about the saturation of technology in the lives mm. of children. There was a really interesting study that you did in the book that I was reading last night, which was the difference of perception um, of um, harms on on devices between um, educators and parents. So parents were primarily concerned with um, bullying offline, and then I think it was secondary was was I think that was bullying offline was number one, but bullying online was further down the list, and almost at the bottom of the list was the content that their children were consuming. And for teachers, it was almost flipped around, and that correlates very much with my experience when I go into schools and I hear the voices of alarm from teachers saying parents aren't aware of what their kids are doing online. And do you think that's why there is that disparity between what educators are concerned about, which is what kids are being exposed to online, the online bullying that they, of course, are seeing more than the parents are because they're dealing with it every day at school and they can't tell the parent body about their day-to-day experience with that? Do you think it's is that disparity is because of that, because parents are largely unaware of what the kids are really experiencing on their yeah. devices. So true, and that's where we need to listen to our professional educators because they are getting the professional development from people like you. They're, they're being made aware through the literature of some of the downside of the technology. They are aware of the studies that is showing already early signs of some of the challenges that young people are being exposed to through these devices. And parents, let's face it, we only know what we know from our own experience. Mm. And even for the youngest parents of today, Generation Y parents raising their Generation Alpha children, they had the internet when they were young, but it was at most on a laptop. Uh, They did not have the smartphones when they were at the same age as their children. They didn't have, of course, social media to the extent we have it. They, They didn't have apps. And they weren't just a few clicks away from any piece of information on the planet as their Mm. children are from a young age. And so they're almost don't know how to navigate this world. They, they know that mm. the children are going to need the digital skills for the future and they're needing, even in kindergarten or year one, sometimes the devices for some of the learning, but but they don't know really how to, how to get some constraints around it or whether indeed it's a healthy thing or not. So that's where the resourcing and the, the support is needed to help parents raise children or give the information about how to best support their children uh, being raised digital. And that leads me to my next question, which is, do you think that Generation Alpha are going to be better at it because they've grown up from from birth with this technology? Or do you still think there will be a generation generational divide between Generation Alpha and their own children? Because 
um, there's all sorts of cultural differences, aren't there, about how we use technology, as you've just pointed out, and what our experiences yeah, that, that, are. True, and it's hard to know, you know, in 30 years' time <clears throat> what the technologies will be and what the what the digital challenges will be as the Gen Alphas become parents themselves. But, but what we know from looking back through the generations is – and it's, and it's implied in your question there that I think that Generation Alphas, when they become parents, they will have more constraints on the use of the devices for their own children because they've, they will have seen, as they reflect back, some <laughs> of the they're downsides going to be of the, the, They're going to be tough parents on technology because of the, what, they, <laughs> what they've exactly. experienced themselves. Okay. You know, because what we find with parenting is that it's, it, things don't extend more and more one way. They actually swing back. It's like a pendulum. Now, so if we think about the baby boomers raising the Gen Y children, the millennials, they raise them in a, in a free-range way. Hey, you know, go for it. Um, you know, we, we'll give you a bit of freedom and, and, and go for your life. And now we're seeing the Generation Y parents with these Gen Alpha kids be a bit more, uh, if you like, programmed and planned as they raise their children. They're, they're, they're not letting them walk to school. They don't have the free weekend to ride their bike up the road and as long as they're mm -hmm. back by dark. It's not that sort of parenting. Yeah. They've swung back and brought the controls right in. And I think while the, the children of today have more freedom on the devices, I think when they become parents, they'll probably constrain the device use a little bit and uh, maybe get back to a bit of the old school approach to, uh, to, to childhood, a bit more free play, unstructured play and off screens. And I think getting the balance in this and the use of screens is important. Yeah, that that also leads me to my next question that I had lined up, which is, um, although they're more formally educated, you say in the book, they're less proficient in practical skills, assessing risk setting and achieving goals. So um, how are you, what evidence are you seeing for that? What, what, what are you seeing that indicates that that's the case? Well, a few years ago, American researcher Richard Louvre published a book where in, and in it he coined nature deficit disorder. And he mm -hmm. said he's seeing evidence of that where children feel ill-equipped to deal with the outside world and even responding to nature, you know, climbing trees, um, having some sense of environmental literacy, just being aware of uh, and not scared of bugs or, or, or bushland, you know, um, uh, just having a sense of confidence in the outdoors world is important. And, and his book was entitled last child in the forest, giving a mm. dystopian view that could we have a future where the children are so being raised in high-rise you know, apartments, um, being dropped to school, being uh, planned and structured to within an inch of their life in terms of after-school tutoring and the ballet lessons, the music classes, and on devices every other moment, that they don't learn to have a confidence and an ability to interact in nature. You know, from bushwalks to playground and unstructured play to feeling confident to climb a tree or a slippery slide to uh, mm. to, to developing some of the the upper body strength that that happens when we interact in free play in our world you know the the, the ability to not just have a sedentary life but have some exercise and and again interact socially in a broader and outdoors environment this is this is important for children and uh, there's a sense that too much digital and too much indoor time is, is impairing that that holistic development that comes through the reflection, the interaction with nature and um, and and the unstructured world. Yeah, and I think um, although you know the Duke of Edinburgh uh, scheme and Scouts and all of that sort of stuff, 
those kind of wilderness camps that kids go on to are absolutely amazing and most a lot of schools run them. Um, it's probably not enough, is it? They actually need that incidental outdoor activity. You can't just sort of shove them out there in the wilderness and then think, okay, that's sorted, they'll be more courageous and they'll have more risk-taking yeah. if they go straight back into a bedroom on a screen. Totally, because it's in that downtime when we're in a park or with friends and there's a ball or there's a, a toy or something, we have to get creative. And developing creative play helps us develop productive creative outputs later in life. And we're mm. going to need to be adaptive and resilient as we think about solutions in our future. And that begins through unstructured play. You know, we don't, the children don't walk to school anymore, ride their bike there, we drop them. And we understand the reasons for that as parents. And 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 the, the children don't have free time just to play up the road on, on the weekend. And again, we can understand some of the reasons, but if we're too constrained, if the only outdoor activities they get is the structured team sports and not just that free play with others, if playground uh, time at, at school is is all, again, structured or facilitated by teachers or or otherwise they're in the library or there's, there's lunchtime planned activities, again, they're not developing the play and the creativity that is an important part of the upbringing of children. Um, you're like, the book is largely positive, Mark. I, I actually thought you put a, a positive spin on, on a lot of things that parents have fears about. If you were going to say uh, to parents some positive aspects of this generation of, of children over previous generations, what do you think, what, what, what would you say to them? Well, they will be the most formally educated generation in history. And we know the great benefits of education. It's fantastic. And this is a global view, not just one here in Australia. Uh, they'll be the most technologically supplied. And while we talked about the downsides, there's incredible outcomes that come from technology. Technology will be used by them for what it's always been used for, empowering human flourishing and creating better connections and more equality across our world. And we're seeing that technology in the most the most materially endowed generation ever. And, and so we've got the rise of the middle class right around the world with this generation, which gives more options and opportunities. And of course, they're more connected around the world, which means that they don't just have a, a monocultural view of their experience, but are more connected uh, globally and across the diversity of our global communities. And I think all of that is fantastic. And the other thing in all of that is that they're given more of a voice and opportunity to share their perspectives. It's not an adult-run world that's all top-down and the children are... You know, Don't those parents know it? <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> do. Maybe it's gone too far. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they have a voice. They have a seat at the table. They're consulted in groups like us as researchers. My colleague Ashley, who runs a lot of these focus groups and the co-author here, you know, we, we get a chance to to hear the view of, of young people. We, we survey their parents and we, we, we really are able to communicate that that input that view of, of even these very young uh, young people so so all of that is a positive and i think that empowerment that they have will mean that they'll be well equipped to bring forth some solutions to these new problems we're seeing globally and they'll be the ones to do that hopefully with the input of the older generations who bring that experience and that structure and that 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 perspective but you know intergenerationally we can have more of those those uh, solutions and and i think that Gen Alphas are bringing a lot of those skills to the table. Fantastic. Thank you for being our guest on Digital Families today, Mark McCrindle. Where can people find out more about your work and about this fabulous book, Generation 
Alpha. I wonder if that name will stick. Uh, <laughs> what else could they possibly come up with? Like, like, is there a Generation A? I've never heard of a Generation A, and that's probably a couple of thousand years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Well, and I think that that's the problem that some people thought, oh, we finished, we got to Z, maybe we're going to go to A, but I don't think we're going back to the start. It's a whole new reality, a whole new therefore yeah. naming system. That's why we, we we stuck with Alpha. Yeah, the book's called Generation Alpha, and that's a good place to go um, to, to get more information. In fact, the website, generationalpha.com, is what we've put forward with a lot of resources and information. You can get the book through that. So so generationalpha.com is, is a good starting point. And We've also got a lot of material and, and research and we try to make as much of it freely available um, on generations and beyond at our website, mccrindle.com.au. So you know, either of those places is a, a good resource for, for further information. Thank you, Mark McCrindle. It's been a pleasure talking to you um, and giving um, parents a good hopeful spin on all this technology and how it's being used by their children and how it's going to be used in the future. Yeah, indeed. Thanks so much, Leonie. Great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks, um, everybody, for listening to the Digital Families podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review or some feedback on YouTube or your favourite podcast app, whatever that might be. I love to hear what you think. Maybe you've got a suggestion for a potential guest. Tune in again next week for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects families. Mm-hmm.